Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast. A podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Till Luca. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. Practitioner. Today's episode is sponsored by Books of Discovery. Here's a message from the founder and author of Trail Guide to the Body, Andrew Beale. Books of Discovery might be best known for producing Trail Guide to the Body, but we're also a whole lot more. We bring you the clinical learning tools you need to inform your intentional bodywork. Check out our kinesiology, pathology, and A&P texts. They not only build the foundation upon which great educators like Till and Whitney rely, but will also support you through your entire career. Books of Discovery is proud to support the thinking practitioner and are offering a 15% discount when a listener enters thinking at the booksofdiscovery.com checkout page. Enjoy the show. And thanks to Andrew Beal and the whole team at Books of Discovery. We certainly do appreciate their support. And do be sure to check out that great offer from them as well. All right. So uh, good afternoon, or actually good morning. It's, it's still morning time here. Uh, good morning to you, Till, over there in the high country of Colorado. How are things today? Hey, Whitney. Yeah, we're still in the midst. We're still here in uh, social distancing and isolating isolation. Here in Colorado until the end of the month. This is uh, middle of April, and I think this uh, this we're slated to broadcast this on May sixth, so a few weeks before you're hearing this, probably. Yep, and uh, imagine just based on our projections at this time, there still will be a fair amount of this stuff still going on at that time, and it's uh, been interesting to watch how everybody has um, been grappling with the challenges faced faced by this thing and I think we're all with the big question mark about what's it what it's going to look like on the other side coming out of this yep grappling and uh rising to the occasion and um grieving and hoping and dreaming and all those things that are going on right now yeah yeah absolutely well, in our last episode, we uh, delved deep into the whole issue of the cytokine storm, especially in relationship to how that uh, is relevant with understanding some of what's really happening with the COVID-19 uh, illness itself. And we certainly, uh, we explored and, and discussed in there that there's a, a much bigger uh, aspect of this whole inflammatory process um, to, to look into here. So we thought it would be good to really continue on that same line of, of inquiry today and talk about this further. And again, this is some things that you've been exploring um, a great deal with some of your writings recently and uh, other research stuff that you've been doing. So I'm going to um, sort of ask a bunch of questions and things and to try to delve into that a little bit more uh, with what we're doing here today and looking at this uh, inflammation topic. So before we get into this, I'm, I'm curious, um, is there something that uh, sort of started you off or kicked you down this road of, of looking into inflammation in this level of detail? Because I think you've done some great work uh, exploring that further. So I'm, I'm curious what got you going down this road. That's good. It's, it was a couple of things. One, it was a puzzle. My own clients, I would see that some of them really got better from my work with inflammatory complaints. And I can talk about what those are in a minute. But I saw that some clients really got better and some didn't. And I wanted to know what I could do as a practitioner to work better with the clients who are having different responses. And then I'd get a lot of questions in trainings and classes, like what do I do for bursitis or what do I do for carpal tunnel when it seems to be an inflamed thing more than a mechanical thing? Or yeah. Is it a mechanical thing or is it an inflamed thing? And then number three was my wife went through a cancer uh, diagnosis and treatment for cancer. She's doing great now. 
But as a part of that, she did get chemotherapy. And that's a whole inflammatory episode in one's life. That's got to be, you know, way up there on the list of whole body inflammatory states. So living with her through that and helping her through that really gave me some home study intensity on that whole question too. So it became became a passion and now you know, nothing gets piques my interest or puts a smile on my face more than talking about inflammation. So I'm glad we got a chance to do that. Yeah, you know, it is always fascinating how some of those individual experiences drive us down these unique roads of, of exploring some of these things in greater detail. So um, mm. tell me how that shows up most frequently for for example, with clients that you're working with, what what kinds mm-hmm. of things do you see um, when they come in that um, sort of pique your interest about, like, wonder what's happening here with inflammatory processes? As soon as you scratch the surface on inflammation, you realize it's everywhere. And so anytime, just about, anytime a client says they're sore or achy, whether that involves a soft tissue or a joint, there's inflammation involved, maybe as a primary driver of that, certainly as a result, but maybe even as a primary driver. So anytime there is uh, for sure bursitis, the classic inflammation, you know, local inflammation symptoms, bursitis in a lot of tendinopathies, uh, carpal tunnel issues, uh, neuropathies too have an inflammatory component, sometimes primary like sciatic pain. Uh, Migraine headaches are thought to a lot of times be having an inflammation driver of the trigeminal nerve thoracic outlet syndrome, repetitive strain injuries. It's like an inflammatory reaction that's not resolving. A lot of chronic pain seems to have elevated inflammatory markers, and there's some interesting uh, unknown relationship going on between the inflammation that's driving the pain and vice versa. I could go down the list. It's safe to say that every, just about every musculoskeletal complaint, unless it's genetic or congenital, or unless it's an acute injury before the inflammation is set in, has an inflammatory component. So one of the things that, that strikes me about this and thinking about the, the role of inflammation, and, and of course I think about this a lot in terms of educational things too, because I'm um, mm-hmm. always focusing on how do we teach people better. That's a big part of, of my interest. Is There seems to be, at, at least uh, in a lot of our education, a good bit of emphasis on acute level inflammation and you know managing and preparing for and not doing things that might be detrimental during that, but there doesn't seem to be the same level of, of attention, for example, on some of the maybe more ongoing inflammatory processes that you're talking about. So do you think that's yeah. because of maybe um, lack of ability to recognize some of the lower level inflammatory things when, when there's not necessarily an immediate acute injury as a part of that, or maybe because it's, it's less visible and it's harder to see and harder to identify? Do you think that decreases our uh, attention to it as a as a pertinent factor to think about. I bet there's a lot of factors there. Everything you named, and then the fact that it's a different kind of process than we're usually used to working with as as hands-on practitioners. It's not a tight tissue. It's not tension. It's not muscular tension. It's not a fascial thing per se. It's not like you know undifferentiated fascia. It's not even a pain phenomenon. It's none of those, and it's more of a process than any of those things are. Yeah, in a sense. It's a, it takes it takes more time. It involves it's more complexity, and it's a progression more than it's a thing in itself. And we're not used to thinking that way. Do you think that there's like is there? Do you see maybe a common, or maybe I should say, what is the most common misunderstanding people have about inflammation in terms of the, the soft tissue practitioners that we're addressing? 
here that are in the trenches doing this work from a day-to-day basis. Do you see any real common yeah. misunderstandings or things that they, or maybe knowledge gaps too, of things where they don't have as, as good understanding of what's really Abs- happening there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In myself, but then also in the trainings and classes and talking to other teachers, I actually got my famous five things people don't know about inflammation, or at least bo- hands-on body workers don't know about inflammation. All right, I got to hear those, yeah. Com- I want to hear those. Okay, okay. <laughs> First thing is it's super. Oh wait, common. wait. Do you Number have a is, do you have a cool acronym for those as well too? Oh, I don't. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I gotta get one. Okay. Uh, it's super common, and as I said, it's involved in any time, just about any time. There's achiness or soreness. It also is involved in autoimmune issues, um, uh, any kind of allergy. Uh, a lot of those autoimmune issues are systemic and mysterious, but that still can be presenting in our practice. A lot of things that practitioners see might be a background systemic inflammation. It's involved in aging. It's involved in um, a growing list of mental and behavioral disorders as well. So the first thing most people don't know about inflammation is how common it is. The second thing people don't know is that it isn't bad. It's not a problem in and of itself. Inflammation is actually what allows healing to happen. It is the beginning of the healing process, or you could even say it is the healing process. So anytime there is an injury or an infection or irritation, you got to have inflammation to rectify that, to put that right. Yeah? Number three, ready for that? Ready for it. It's a symptom. It's not a condition. Yeah, that's big, I think. Yeah, it's a sign that something's going on. And sometimes it's a mystery, like with the autoimmune issues. We don't often know what it is that's triggering those. But it's a symptom of something else. It's the body's repair response, protection and repair response. Yeah. So it's not something to try to fight or stop, per se, or it's not even a problem in and of itself. It's a result of, it's a symptom of something else going on. Yeah. It's number four. It's not like tension or stress or fascial issues, if you think that way or pain issues, if you think that way. We can't rub it out. We can't release it. We can't relax it. It's a whole different way of thinking and a whole different way of working. So let's take, if we can explore that for just a moment, what what yeah. do you think or sense is the um, the key thing that we can do when we talk about, you know, maybe systemic inflammation or more large-scale and non-localized um, yep. inflammation? What kinds of things can we do that are most beneficial for that? That's the key question, and that's actually my number five. Yeah, alrighty. Is that there are things we can do to help. Mm-hmm. And some of that helping depends on that question you just asked. Is it systemic or is it local? Yeah. And the key things for uh, systemic work are in my acronym. Well, let's Today. hear the acronym. Should we jump into that next? <laughs> uh, maybe I want to lay a little more groundwork. Okay, let's lay a little more Maybe yeah. I want to lay a little more groundwork. Okay. But so the acronym makes more sense. Okay. But yeah, half those uh, letters in the acronym are about systemic inflammation. Okay. But yeah, just to really briefly, the difference between a systemic inflammatory response and a local one is really simple. For the systemic response, it's your whole body or it's your whole system or it's uh, diffuse reactions. You might have local inflammatory responses. You might have a sore shoulder, sore, uh, sore shoulder because your systemic inflammation is acting up on a low level make you more prone to the local flare-ups. But that's a really important distinction to think about as a practitioner. Is it just a local flare-up, or could there be a background systemic inflammatory process? And that question you ask is the key one. What are our levers for uh, systemic or low-grade whole-body inflammation? 
So uh, we got to think about, again, the background I want to lay before I try to answer that question are some things like what causes it and what is, it, what is inflammation trying to do? Basically, anytime there's inflammation, it's a response to an injury, an infection, or an irritation. Yeah? Right. Yeah. An injury is clear. You stub your toe, you get the immediate, uh, say, nociception or painful response of stubbing your toe. But then within seconds, you have an inflammatory, if there's been some tissue damage or injury, you've had some inflammatory responses coming in. And they will cause pain themselves. The inflammation itself causes the pain of an injury. Mm -hmm. The cytokines that get released, like we talked about last episode, irritate nerve endings. So they sensitize those nerve endings and start a whole lot of pain signals being generated. Yeah, And then uh, they do a weird thing where the nerves themselves, once your nervous system is upset or once the nerves are upset, they can actually inflame the tissues too. So you can get a neurogenic inflammation, and an inflammation that's caused by the nervous system. So that really becomes sort of a, a self-perpetuating cycle then of, of yeah. the system kind of spinning out of control. And then we're kind of in the realm of what we were talking about in the last episode with the cytokine storm where things are just kind of spinning out of, out of um, that's right. homeostasis Positive or out of balance. Loop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Your, the, the nociception upsets your nervous system. The nervous system releases inflammatory cytokines right into the tissues, and that continued inflammation continues to generate those signals yeah. in the loop. Yeah. The, the good news is that anywhere we can interrupt that loop, we can change the cycle. We can interrupt it on the level of the nociception through all the descending modulation, the mechanisms we talked about, basically all those contextual effects, all the ways that people understand what's happening. We can interrupt it on the tissue level by actually changing the inflammatory uh, concentrations in different ways. Yeah, and then we can support it on the big system level too through immunological competence. So there's lots of ways we can interrupt that cycle. Yeah, and you know, to me, these all indicate some extremely powerful potential benefits of the soft tissue manual therapy. To you know, regardless of the the way in which that's practiced, but the many benefits, the extreme benefits of of long, slow applications of hands-on manual touching therapies in engaging a lot of those kinds of processes. And again, once we can kind of get out, out a little bit outside of that sense of, of the mechanical effects of what we're doing with soft tissue manipulation and look at some of those yeah. from the bigger picture, to me, yeah. this is tremendously exciting and gives us a, a great potential to look at, uh, you know, for future research studies and looking at the, the health benefits of what we're doing with massage, that it really does extend significantly beyond the kinds of things that are easy to study. And this gets back into that challenge of we have some really good theoretical models of why this might be really helpful for people, and we certainly do believe anecdotally and clinically that that's the case the difficulty comes in, you know, maybe how do we validate that and how do we how do we study it and, and, and how do we, mm -hmm. you know, find some ways to really delve into some of these things from a research perspective. There's some really interesting research going on, both recently and as you look back, about the effects of manual therapy on inflammation. And then a lot of practitioners, too, have a body of experience where they realize that they could work with inflamed things and make them better, even though... Most entry-level massage people, and certainly it was true in my structural integration training, they said if it's hot, recently injured, inflamed, leave it alone for a while. You're not going to directly make it better. 
you know, work on some other part of the body or work in a different way or use light touch. Yeah. Use a different modality. But it turns out there, you know, those are all really good pieces of advice, but it turns out there are ways to work more directly with inflammatory conditions and make them better too. You know what you're doing. Yeah. And um, I had a question I wanted to ask too to, to get into this uh, in a similar way. In one of your articles about inflammation, that was from a maybe a year or two ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. You had mentioned something in there about um, uh, there was a possibility for um, impacting or affecting uh, myofascial tissues in a distant region from inflammatory activity, meaning so like an inflammatory process in one place may cause distant impacts or effects in other myofascial tissues somewhere else in a different locale of the body. Can you speak to that a little bit or maybe clarify what how that occurs. remembering the exact thing I wrote or even the context, but I could riff off that I'll a little bit. I'll see if I can pull it up a little bit there it's, while we talk. Yeah, I wonder if it's talking about just the systemic effects. When you have an inflammatory load on the system, it changes your whole physiology. And uh, there are different sorts of hormonal receptors for short-term changes in fascia. And then there's the fibroblast activity and things like that that can change fibrosity and the inflammatory reactivity of fascia throughout the body in a systemic inflammation episode. I wonder if that's what I was talking about. Yeah, that could be. And um, I was going to see if I could pull it up and find it really quick here because I had this article on my uh, desktop, but I didn't find Keep that. Keep looking. Uh, but if you want, but you know, I'll just say too while you look for it, um, it's really simple. You know, If you break it down to local inflammation, where a joint is hot or swollen or painful, and systemic inflammation, where there's a whole body response, there's two ways to work with that, and they correspond to uh, the words we use to describe the inflammation. You work with local inflammation locally. You work with systemic inflammation systemically. And there's things we can do with our hands and in our manual therapy context that have local effects, and there's things we do that have systemic effects. Yeah. And that that's huge right there. I mean, it's so simple, but that points you right toward the tools you need to work with someone's inflammatory situations. Yeah. So, okay, I found what I was looking for here. So this was from um, your article that was in um, Massage and Bodywork magazine, March, April 2019. So I'm going to... Massage and Bodywork. Yeah. So I'm going to uh, quote this briefly. So in this paragraph, you said... Inflammation doesn't just affect the fascia and connective tissues of the locally painful area. Over time, local pain can also inflame other myofascial structures far from the injury site. And then also mentioned neurons that connect the injured areas with the brain. And you mentioned here also, strangely, the ankle area of your your brain's body map. Tell me about that because that seems interesting. (laughs) Okay. Uh, When you have a chronic... Uh, inflammation. And uh, I think, yeah, I think the ankle example later got changed to sciatic example. And maybe I sent you an early proof or something. Yeah. Because the, the research is around sciatica and it, it probably applies to the ankle, but no one that I know has studied the same thing in the ankle. So let's stick with sciatica for a minute where there is pretty clear research. In sciatic pain, not only does your rear hurt and your low back and the back of your leg, like in classic sciatic pain, but those corresponding regions in your brain's sensory motor homunculus are inflamed. There's measurable inflammation in those parts of your brain. Mm-hmm. There's glial cell activities, which are like the inflammatory, they are the inflammatory cells of the brain. They turn on as if they're uh, you know, locally inflamed because you're, it seems to be because your leg and your rear and your back are hurting. 
And that's probably true elsewhere in the body, too, that when you have a chronic ongoing pain, it actually inflames the brain. And then to finish the thought, we know that when the nervous system's upset, it can also upset the tissues. It goes the other way around, too. It's back to that neurogenic inflammation. Thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. So those, those feedback loops are things that we want to, um, you know, do our best to intervene in and find ways to, to intercept somehow or other. And I think that's... Um, it's a fascinating aspect of looking at the more holistic uh, pictures of what um, what soft tissue manual therapies can do in so many of these instances here. Well, it made a lot of sense to me. I mean, after you know a background in fascial and structural work, and then also uh, a psychotherapeutic approach, and then getting into the pain science thing for the last decade, and really looking at the biopsychosocial integration of those ways, the inflammation thing made so much sense to me as uh, the neuroimmune idea. And again, it was Mosley and Butler who started, it wasn't their idea, but they started talking about it a lot, how pain modifies our external motor behavior. It'll cause avoidance behavior. That's one of the biological functions of pain. And then all of the psychological constructs we get around things we're avoiding, we're uh, protecting from. And then inflammation modifies our internal cellular immunological behavior. It actually moves cells in ways that help protect. So they're both protective functions just on different scales and happening in different systems. And they work in conjunction. That's, and that neurogenic pain is one way they stay coordinated. Yeah, right. Well, great. Well, I'm gonna, I want to come back to our um, the acronym that, we, that you had talked about of some things that you use yeah. in, in discussing this. So um, we'll pause for just a moment. We're going to hear uh, briefly for a moment from our halftime sponsor. And then when we come back, we'll take a look at what this acronym is and how that relates to our inflammation uh, or your inflammation uh, trainings that you're doing. And our halftime sponsor day is Handspring Publishing. When I was looking for a publisher for the book I wanted to write a few years ago, I was lucky enough to have had two offers, one from a huge international media company and the other from Handspring, small publisher in Scotland run by four great people. I'm glad I chose them because not only did they help me make the books I wanted to write and share, the Advanced Biofascial Techniques book, but their catalog has emerged as one of the leading collections of professional-level books written especially for body workers, movement teachers, and as they say, all professionals who use movement or touch to help their patients achieve wellness. And note that Handspring has a new instructional webinar series called Moved to Learn. It's a regular series of 45-minute segments featuring some of their amazing authors there that they've got in the catalog. So head on over to the website at handspringpublishing.com to check those out. And while you're there, have a look at their excellent catalog of books and resources. And be sure to use the code TTP at checkout for a, dis, uh, for a discount. So thank you again, Handspring. Thanks, Handspring. So where were we? Were we up to the acronym yet? We were. So uh, you've got an acronym that you use frequently in your trainings about inflammation. Mm -hmm. So tell us about that and what that can uh, help, help, us, help guide us with. It started as just five ways that we could help inflammation and there's research behind about ways research you know generally accepted ways that we can as manual therapists can help people dealing with inflammation yeah mm -hmm. uh the first one the c the, the acronym is calm c-a-l-m-s the first one c stands for client engagement client engagement you got to engage your client if they have an inflammatory condition ongoing inflammatory condition that they want to change they, it's really tough to passively do something to a client who's not engaged and change their inflammatory reactions. Sometimes we can, 
But especially for the chronic ones, the ones that are going on, the ones, especially if it's systemic, they need to be involved in terms, and that means them having an interest in their health, they're, they're being willing to explore their edges around movement, uh, they're being willing to track their symptoms and report back to you, did that session make it better or make it worse? That's the kind of information you need as a practitioner. You need them engaged in the process. So let so me um, ask about that a little bit, because this is something that I think we run into a good number of times with um, you know, challenges in this kind of thing with, with clients in a number of different situations. There is so often a perception from many people that they come to, let's say they're a massage therapist, they're a body worker, a structural integrator, whoever it is, wanting to have something yeah. done to them to fix them and make them feel better. So it's your job, practitioner, to make yeah. me feel better. I'm just going to come here and you know unwind and relax. So uh, what kinds of things do you think are, are most helpful for trying to get that process of engagement sort of kick-started with these people? Because that is such a, a challenge, I think, sometimes to get people on board and motivated and, and an active part of that process. The simplest, there's, there's a whole a toolbox of ways, but some of the simplest ones are questions. Just asking questions during either the intake interview or during the run-up to your session or even, you know, as you're de- discussing and debriefing the work during and afterwards, questions like, how do you feel about your overall health? What do you do for your sleep, say? Do you, how, much, how do you feel about your movement? It's, it's questions that are really going to get people interested and have them reflect. I'm not giving them prescriptions. I'm not telling them they are or aren't doing a good job. Most people know how well they're doing and have some ideas about how to do that. But I'm helping raise their awareness and bring attention to the fact that things like sleep, movement, and overall stress levels are really going to impact their inflammatory conditions, whether it's a sore shoulder or a whole autoimmune disorder. Mm-hmm. So one way is questions and just to raise the awareness raising. Yeah, great. And then it goes down, you know, there's a whole panoply of uh, ideas you could offer too, including, say, take-home movement exercises. That's one way to get clients engaged, actually having them move on the table. But then I guess the other big one, the other low-lying fruit that makes a lot of difference is getting your clients to report back on the table about the pressure and the direction and the specificity of what you're doing. You do some great stuff, I know, around, say, a direction or a force that elicits the pain and elicits the sensation. That's like a kind of client engagement technique that gets the client reporting on what you, they're doing that hurts as you're working on them. Yeah. And that helps you target what you're doing quite a bit. Yeah. And I think we were, um, I was in another discussion with somebody the other day. I can't remember. Oh, I think this, I can't remember where I was having this discussion, but we were talking about that very factor of that particular type of work of the active engagement techniques. Uh, where you're having the client do active movement with the the same time that you're doing massage has real benefits in simply calling people's attention to those areas and making them feel like I'm aware that this is being worked on. I'm aware that uh, this is, you know, being engaged here and there's significant power and benefit. I think they're in, in calling the brain's attention to those tissues in, in an attention to engaging them in those processes. So um, yeah, I certainly think those things are, are a valuable part of, hopefully what can continue on once they leave the, the treatment room, because um, I can't remember the math number in my head right off the top of my head, but if I'm correct, I believe it is 168 hours in a week. And yeah, like hopefully. if we're lucky, we get them for one of those <laughs> once right. a week, but probably for many yeah. people, it's not once a week. And so really that amount of time that we're spending with people in terms of the whole big overall scale of their life is pretty small. So the more we can work with yes. them to get those things reinforced outside of the, the time we were with them in the treatment room is really helpful. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, uh, I'm with you. All right. So what's what's the A? The A in calms is autonomic calming. Autonomic calming. So that's basically turning down uh, any stuck fight or flight reactions in the body. And that's here's the paradox. Stress is anti-inflammatory. Stress is anti-inflammatory. When you have a stress reaction, when you have a fight or flight reaction, that shuts off your inflammation reactions. Adrenaline is what you use if you get a bee sting. Epinephrine, EpiPen is adrenaline Mm -hmm. because that's a super powerful anti-inflammatory. It stops everything unneeded, all the unneeded reactions uh, so that you can basically escape and, you know, stimulates the motor impulse and all this kind of stuff so you can escape. So So how do you think, uh, just if I can interrupt for a second and ask and pose this question, then how, for those of us that we hear all the time of how detrimental it is for us um, to be constantly in that fight-or-flight response because of the increased stress levels of our current society and our jobs and our busyness and all that kind of stuff that keeps us going, if that does suppress inflammatory activity, I mean, maybe, can we say that's a good side to to that process, or is it just like... that, Short-term, that sure, impairs just like the an good epinephrine pin. Yeah. Right. Well, epinephrine pin is good to sh- turn off that inflammation. And we yeah. talked like last week, last episode in the COVID storm. It's you, you know you need to survive. If you're going to survive. You got to turn that off sometimes. Yeah. But if you keep doing that, if you do that over time, what you're also turning off of all is all the healing processes, and you're fatiguing. You get you, know, you get cortisol fatigue. You get worn out from all that stress, and you don't have what it takes to see the react the inflammatory reaction through. So what happens is when you get stressed out, the inflammatory reactions lose their juice and they can't, compete, they can't complete. They get stuck in this acute phase, which is actually fairly destructive to the body. Yeah. It's back to balance, a certain amount it? Yeah. of Yeah, it's yeah. back to balance. You need a certain amount of parasympathetic uh, experience and time in that zone to help the stress react. I'm sorry, the inflammatory reactions actually resolve. Yeah. And it's resolution we want, not just stopping the reactions. Great. Okay, how about the L? L is liquids. L is liquids. Inflammation, you could say on this most simplest level, is a liquid phenomenon. It's about tissue, uh, fluids, liquids leaking out of cells and leaking out of uh, vessels into the tissues, and that's what causes the swelling. That's what causes the coughing and pneumonia. So it's a, on the simplest and most immediate level, inflammation is a movement of liquids. And to resolve, liquids need to be moved too, because otherwise they sit there with all of their breakdown uh, byproducts and signaling toxic signaling molecules and cause more problems. If the liquids don't move, you end up with this stuck state of inflammation, a chronic state of inflammation that's just from stasis. Yeah. So moving liquids around, and there's a lot of different tools for doing that. Certainly the whole lymphatic traditions, you know, several of those, uh, Chickley, Voter, etc., have their ways of working with moving lymph fluid. It turns out in the fascial point of view, there's a whole lot of fluid movement within the superficial fascias, within the outer layers of fascia on the body. There's quite a bit of interstitium or interstitial fluids moving around, and they're, they're pre-lymph. They connect to the lymph eventually, but they seem to have a really strong immunological function in the body of keeping these uh, inflammatory fluids in check, keeping the right dilution and the right uh, mobilization, the places where they're needed. And that's happening anywhere there's loose uh, tissues, loose fascial tissues in the body, including in the gut, including right under your skin. Yeah, and it seems like there's um, 
you know, I, I know a lot of these things are, are still difficult for us to to quantify specifically through some of the research processes that we've done, but especially with the work that's been done with lymphatics and things like that, I think mm-hmm. it's a, there's a pretty good understanding that a lot happens with the potential for tissue fluid movement um, in many instances from wide varieties and methods of, of hands-on soft tissue manipulation in, in a lot of different areas there. You know, some mm-hmm. of this has gotten... Um, this again kind of gets back into some of the difficulties of interpreting certain research but you know there's uh, for so long there was a lot of research that was or, or a lot of <clears throat> sort of common knowledge that was passed on through our training about massage does wonderful things to increase circulation because everybody was saying that was a big benefit of right, massage right. and then some of these studies came out and said well you know in terms of measuring blood volume changes mm-hmm. in large arterial structures no actually it really doesn't do that much and then yes. that sort of squashed that idea a lot but a lot of again you've got to be careful in terms of what that actually is saying because while there may not be significant changes in uh, the blood volume traveling through large arterial structures that doesn't necessarily say we're not moving tissues through small capillaries and other like you said in between tissue layers and things like that 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 could absolutely be impacted there and those things are just much much more difficult to study so we don't have good evidence about that kind of stuff yet but uh, well, certainly there's, strong yeah, some... there's, uh, that's true that's true the evidence base isn't as strong there yeah and it's it's um, i'm sidestepping the circulatory question because you know the arguments there being um exercise and movement and activity moves uh, fluids maybe more effectively than local manual therapy. That's right. Yeah. And then and then there's time. That's a really good argument. There's times though that when people aren't able to exercise for sure, let's say recovery from uh, a surgery or recovery from an ongoing lymphedema and things like that, where uh, approaches that help the or facilitate the movement of that fluid can be super helpful. Certainly experientially, there's a lot of case studies yeah. that show amazing results and. I've seen them myself. You can visibly reduce the swelling pretty predictab- uh, predictably rather, on acute injuries, too, through some of those interstitial techniques. Yeah, yeah. So I think... So there's... Uh... Oh, sorry. There's this... And there's, there's a... Even within the, that field, the lymphatic field, there's a debate between are we moving the fluid, like pushing fluids around, or are we facilitating the body's ability to move its own fluids? And there's people taking both approaches, and there's probably some usefulness in both those ways of thinking. I would agree, yeah. And I think um, that we we see certainly the benefits of of the actual you know muscle contraction um, in back and forth from contraction to relaxation, just the natural pumping effect of those very small you know capillary structures, and just the the movement that occurs from mechanical pumping through the lymphatic system because of movement and and changes in those those things throughout the body. Uh, there's, a, I think, a lot of potential benefit that we're seeing there. Again, difficult to measure in some instances, but we see that stuff all the time in terms of the outcomes. So, Well, that, re- that feeds right into the M. Should I jump into let's, that one? Let's hear it. So the M is movement, movement safety particularly, uh, making it okay for people to move. And that is going to have liquid effects. It's going to have effects on their brain maps. It's going to have lots of – it's going to have effects on their autonomics. It's going to have effect on um, their engagement. But basically, M for movement safety means whatever we do that makes it safer, helps it be safer for people to move, is beneficial. Touch has a great uh, potential to do that. When you have someone 
touch you and produce novel sensation, like you were saying, and you're engaged with that, especially if you are moving as well, your brain gets a new color in its coloring book and goes, oh, I guess I maybe don't need to protect that quite so much through immobilization, let's say, or withdrawal or contraction. And as we begin to elicit or invite or schmooze in the willingness to move in small ways, but also in big ways, then that has a lot of impact on inflammatory resolution. Yeah, you know, there's somebody, um, I was talking with somebody the other day about um, uh, massage effects, and I, I can't remember how we got onto this, but I said, you know, uh, for those that will kind of be of our same age group and can kind of remember this, there's a lot of instances in which the massage session can sometimes feel like an Etch-A-Sketch. Uh, you remember that hey. that toy back from the 60s or so? And you could erase this thing, it feels like what we can often do with uh-huh. a lot of these sessions is kind of not maybe not completely erase, but we can to a large extent erase a lot of the dysfunctional proprioceptive activity and just clean the slate a little bit for them to get off the table and say, hey, I can move like this. It can, you know, it can be better, that sort of thing. So the pathways have been scratched into the. Yeah, that's pattern. right. Yeah. That's why we should just take our clients upside down and shake them. It might work. It might work. You set the whole yeah. thing. Put a couple of dials on your massage table and turn this back and forth. And like, have these things go down and we'll, uh, create yeah. some new patterns in there. Yeah. So the the movement safety thing, examples of ways you're already using that. Anytime you're talking to your clients and reminding them to relax, yeah, or giving them images or inviting them to move, you're working with their movement safety. This also includes all the nerve glide work because essentially you're. You're probably having fluid effects within the nerve. You're having inflammatory effects too. But you're showing the brain it's okay to do these movements, That even though there's a little bit of sensation, let's say in a sciatic pain, that if I can find the edge of that and move around it, the protective impulses reduce. And that helps reduce that neurogenic uh, inflammatory loop. Yeah. Great. Tell me about the S. S is the... uh, S is the one that we reserve for special cases. It doesn't stand for special. It stands for stimulate. Mm-hmm. So it's stimulating an inflammatory response through uh, usually direct pressure or direct work. And that includes things like gua sha or coining or direct uh, deep tissue work, say. All of the kind of no-nos that beginners are taught, don't do this to inflammation because it does make it worse. It does make the reaction worse. In the right situations with the right clients who are, who are not, uh, say, medically fragile and who you have your rapport with, and when you have the training, uh, those kind of approaches can really help resolve inflammation that doesn't respond any other way. They're tricky, you know, they're tricky because they do actually worsen, and in the case of washa or coining, they cause visible bruising, and then for some practitioners, that is the point. And I don't use instruments in my work, the instrument-assisted work where we're bruising the tissue. That's not the model I have or think about. But there is an, a, an inflammatory rationale for essentially rebooting the inflammatory cycle, yeah. starting it over again so that it can hopefully recomplete and complete the second time instead of getting stuck. And I guess the intention behind that too is that it, when you do that, that you can sort of reboot it in a therapeutically beneficial way and not get it sort of rebooted out of control or out of whack a little bit. Because I've seen some results or, or adverse effects from some of those things where I think people went too far and were a little bit too aggressive oh, and too vigorous with what they absolutely. were attempting to do in there. It takes a lot of skill. And so a lot of that skill is around dosing. I yeah. mean, all these things come down to dosing. Like yeah. how much do we irritate it to make it better? 
Right. It's not just the irritation, it's the skillful irritation. That in certain cases, with certain clients, and certainly wouldn't be anybody with a systemic... By the way, that's not something I would use with a systemic uh, inflammation. I wouldn't try to re... I wouldn't work them hard to try to get them to reboot. Yeah. That's more for a local thing where they're an otherwise healthy, and we have a good rapport, they're already moving their lives, things like that. It just seems to be stalled out, and there might be that kind of approach would be one I consider if I have training in it again. Yeah. It's something that I'm trained in and know the, con- the considerations around. Yeah. So what would you say are, like, what are those sort of the big... The biggest key takeaway points for us in terms of working with inflammatory things, what are the most important uh, key things for, for everyone to take away f- from a practice perspective? Yeah, uh, got to expand your tool set. It's, it's resist the thinking about it like a tight muscle or fascia to release or even pain to uh, biopsychosocially shift around. All those things can help, but inflammation is its own thing. and You need a diverse tool set that can help you work with it as a process, as an ongoing process. That's the first one of those five summary points. Mm-hmm. Second one, it's not me anytime, Whitney, but the second one is finding the right dose. You really got it, not even just that last S, but any of these techniques, including the autonomic one, including especially movement safety, it's all about dosing. And it's the haircut principle. You start slow and you can always do a little more later, next session, but you can't do less. So you start and you have people report back to you how the work is progressing. Yeah, and that's a real, that's an important one because I think so many times people look for protocols or recipes or guidelines like how many of these do I do or how much of this do I do and Mm -hmm. we don't teach stuff really in that kind of way. So the the dosing question, and I think this comes up in all different types of of body work and addressing so many different types of challenges that we find with our clients Mm -hmm how much is too much or what's the right amount and and you know I, I get these questions from people a lot where do i fit where do i learn this where do i learn how much of this to do and i think as you're noting in many instances there's not there's not strict rules around a lot of this kind of stuff in a lot and the the general practice guideline i think is to to err on the side of ease before you try to do too much in there especially if you suspect inflammation do less and uh, usually I get those questions a lot too. How many of these should I do? How many seconds should I hold it? My general answer is three. Mm-hmm. Three is usually the right number. Yeah. And that's the, that's a joke to yeah. say that, you know, <laughs> pick a number if you want, but there's so many variables there. The amount of pressure, the amount yeah. of duration, the frequency, all those things. Yeah. But that's, that is, and the way you figure out the dose is to experiment. It is trial and error. You got to start somewhere and then get a report back. Yeah. And it's not always in the moment. It's going to be, Two days from now, it's going to be next week. So and I think a real to get yeah, your clients to report back to you too. A real important part of that is understanding that uh, one person's three of these is another person's six of them, um, and that right. dosing issue is highly individual and independent with people. So, you know, that's the other uh, thing about you know getting away from these ro- uh, protocols and recipes and routines is that people are individuals, and we we can't. We can't apply those kinds of things that rigidly to everybody the same. Absolutely. Yeah. What uh, else we got there? Third of third of five summary points. Use movement. Get you know use uh, get your client moving on your table. Get them to move. That's going to be huge. Mm-hmm. Number four. Don't forget the power of the therapeutic interaction. Just you being there, you listening to them, you paying attention, you touching them, having taken the time out of their schedule to come to you. 
all those things are already going to have therapeutic effects, especially when we're talking about the systemic inflammation. And I should just circle back around and say, we work with systemic inflammation systemically. And that's a lot through the interaction as opposed to like, which spot do I push and how hard? Right. It's yeah. more like, how do we orchestrate an experience for the person that leaves them feeling over overall better? That's a huge inflammatory help right there. Yeah. Great. And what's our last one and there? And last one, basic health and self-care. Don't forget medical issues. If people have medical issues, they need to be addressing those really to have for you to be able to be effective with their inflammatory symptoms too. And they need to be getting sleep. They need to be happy in their life. They need to be have a decent diet and they need to be moving. All those things we know that affect basic health are going to be the groundwork for what you do on your table as well. Yeah. So these, I think, are really valuable guidelines, I think, not only just in inflammatory activities, but for lots of different types of, of approaches and things that we're going to be doing. And I know, uh, you know, certainly by reading a lot of the things that are on social media right now, there's a lot of practitioners very eager to get back to activity here and get, get back to working with people again. So some, some really good tools and guidelines that you've uh, provided for thinking about uh, some of these things, and especially for um, dealing with more compromised uh, health conditions and keeping in mind that so many of these things that we work with may have inflammatory components, even though they're not uh, directly apparent for us. And pneumonia it's, itself, which is you know what some people that have a COVID reaction end up with, that's an inflammatory uh, situation that it takes a while to recover from. Yeah. So you may be seeing in your practice more people recovering from that. It's going to be a long-term recovery. Yeah. And these are these are some tools and approaches that hopefully will yeah. help set the tone for that. Great. Well, uh, enjoyed that conversation thoroughly, and I would like to say a big uh, thank you to our sponsors of the show and also a major thank you to all of the listeners and people who take time out of their lives to listen to us. You can stop by our site for show notes, transcripts, and other extras and information there at thethinkingpractitioner.com. And Till, where can people find out about you and things that you've got going on with your trainings? Yep, our inflammation trainings, our myofascial trainings, et cetera, at advanced-trainings.com. Thanks for all the great questions, Whitney, and helping me lay it all out. Where can people find out more about what you offer? Yeah, also we've got uh, information over on the academyofclinicalmassage.com for things that we've got going on there, doing lots of stuff with our online program now during the stay-at-home time for everybody. Uh, we've had a few people send us some notes, and we appreciate your input that you've sent us uh, by email to info at thethinkingpractitioner.com. Please feel free to send yep. us any notes over there. And you can uh, reach us also through social media. Till where can people find you out there on social? Just my name, T-I-L-L-U-C-H-A-U, you know, all different social platforms. Yeah. How about you, Whitney? Same thing. And you can find me through uh, my name, Whitney Lowe, out on uh, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, out there. So uh, we would uh, ask you to, if you can, rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening. And uh, tell a friend, share the word around there so we can help, uh, help the other people, helping everybody else out there. So thank you, Till, for that uh, wonderful deep dive into the inflammatory process. And um, we will uh, look into some new interesting stuff on our next go-round here again uh, very shortly in two weeks. Yeah, I can't wait, Whitney. Thanks. Yeah. I look forward to that. Okay, that sounds good. We'll see you all then in two weeks. Take care.